The Canucks could be significantly shorthanded when they host the Florida Panthers tomorrow at Rogers Arena. It is the Canucks Hour here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host, as always, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team for the Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come. With fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, visit avenuemachinery.ca. Drancer, you know, some days, even in the middle of the season, you kind of have to reach or, or struggle a little bit to come up with topics. You know, it's day off, haven't played, they didn't play yesterday, don't play until tomorrow. Today is not one of those days, however, because there is a lot of Canucks news to digest, and I'll just get you the breaking news from this morning. Uh, Sportsnet's Dan Murphy reporting just as the Canucks got on the ice at Rogers Arena for their practice today that both JT Miller and Thatcher Demko tested positive on rapid tests this morning, tested positive for COVID-19, of course. Uh, The team is awaiting lab results for both players. So when you add that to Connor Garland, Bo Horvat, Yaro Halak, who are all still in the United States in quarantine as a result of COVID-19 protocol, That is a group of, I mean, to call them key players doesn't even begin to come close to describing what those players mean to the Canucks. And as you face, you know, you you look at these next two games on the schedule, just a massive, massive blow to the team finally returning home and getting back in front of their fans in Vancouver. Is there any question that Thatcher Demko is this team's MVP? No. He is their most indispensable piece, period. And if they're without him for the weekend against a couple of quality opponents in their building... Uh, the Florida Panthers, of course, are an offensive buzzsaw, un- unlike many we've seen in the past 10 years. Uh, the St. Louis Blues lead the NHL in comebacks. No lead is safe against the Blues. They have a lot of players that can put up points, even if they don't have perhaps the, you know, Huberto, Barkov quality uh, or, or or a defenseman on pace for 76 yes. points the way Aaron Ekblad is. Uh, you need really good goaltending to hang with teams like that if you're the Canucks. And... You know, we'll see. I I mean, the result of Thatcher Demko's PCR test this afternoon will be massive for a team that doesn't have a ton of margin for error, but is done commendably to give themselves a shot at a shot, right, over the course of the past month and a half in this playoff race. I see Dom LeCision's odds had them leapfrog uh, both Anaheim and the San Jose Sharks in the Pacific Division, giving them the fifth best playoff odds in the Pacific Division. That's sort of how it starts. You, you kind of work your way up. The Canucks have you know, worked, struggled, uh, thrashed their way to one in five playoff odds at this juncture in the season. And you know now, like, you can't afford to lose two, but at home. Right, coming At home, off the road trip you just came off, yep. Um, but yeah, right, coming off a two and three road trip where you did slip. Like I know everyone's really excited about the two game win streak that they ended the road trip on, but it doesn't change the fact that when you're trying to catch teams, two and three doesn't get it done. It just sort of uh, is a lot better than zero and five, right? Uh, the Canucks need need to win some games here at home, and they may be without both Demko and Halak. In the event that Demko becomes a confirmed positive uh, later today, and and so that would leave them starting Spencer Martin or Mike DiPietro against, you know, two really potent offensive teams. I mean, that's a that's a really tough hill to climb for this club. It, it, it is. There's no getting around it, right? And I know Spencer Martin is having a nice year at the AHL, and you know DiPietro not quite as much, but obviously still people. He's excited. been good of late. Yeah, he had a tough start, and still people excited about him as a prospect as well, but. You just 
you said it. The most Thatcher Jankpo, the most indispensable player for this Canucks team, most valuable player, however you want to sum it up. And by the way, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Hit us up with your thoughts, your reactions to the Canucks news today. And the thing with Demko is, we've talked about this, how many times when Jim Rutherford or Bruce Boudreaux have been asked about this team, the player they have singled out more than anybody else for praise and to talk about the importance of what they bring to the Canucks is Thatcher Demko. More than Quinn Hughes, more than anybody else on the roster, right? He is the name that comes up over and over again, and it's it's no secret. It's no mystery why that's the case. He's been simply incredible. When he's on his game, as we've seen, when he's at the very top of his game, the Canucks can expect to be competitive with pretty much any anybody in the league, right? Maybe outside a handful of the top teams they saw on this road trip. So to lose that player obviously is enormous. It, it's there's there's no getting around it. But then you think you're also without the reliable backup in Yarrow Halak, who's you know, I think performed pretty well. Obviously, hasn't had the goal support that he would have liked, so the wins haven't been there. But overall, his performance has uh, been pretty solid. He's a big part of why the Canucks lead the league in five-on-five yeah. save percentage, right? I mean, he's started, what, seven games uh, to this point in the season. He's been really good. The wins and losses don't reflect it, but everything else does. He has done his job every night he's been in the net for the Canucks. You know, and, and if you had Halak going into these two games, right, and this is a credit to him, right? If you had a lot going into these two games, you'd say, man, it's you know, it's a loss that you're not going to have Demko for at least one of them, but it's not something you can't overcome. No. You know, Spencer Martin or Mike DiPietro, and, and look, we've all seen goaltenders win games that they're not supposed to win in this league. That's how hockey works. This is the most, um, you know, variant-influenced uh, sports. Variant-influenced sports. This isn't Loki. Uh, this is the most variance-influenced yep. sport in, in, you know, North America. But, but... It's a really big ask to ask, you know, a couple of guys who haven't had a ton of reps in the NHL to replicate the type of win-stealing performances that the Canucks have gotten from Demko time after time this season, and especially over the course of this run that they've been on. Yeah, with Halak available for these two games, the outlook looks entirely different, even if you are still obviously extremely frustrated and disappointed from a Canucks perspective that you don't have Thatcher Demko available to you. But I also just think, you know, beyond the obvious of Spencer Martin and Mikey DiPietro not as reliable, to say the least, at stopping pucks at the NHL level as Thatcher Demko, that's that's obviously a major hindrance. But I also just think of the way that Thatcher Demko allows this team to play stylistically and tactically, and I know Kevin Woodley of Ingoal Magazine, NHL.com, regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650. He was on Canucks Central with Dan Riccio last night talking about the fact that under Bruce Boudreau, the Canucks have been able to be more aggressive. They've chosen to be more aggressive offensively. And yes, that has resulted in some odd man rushes, some breakaways going the other way. But guess what? You have Thatcher Demko, and he's elite at stopping those chances, right? He's one of the best in the NHL at making saves in those odd man rushes and breakaway situations. And so all of a sudden, not just without Demko, but without Halak as well, going to two very inexperienced goalies at the NHL level, do you ha- You almost think you would have to significantly change the way you're playing in front of these goalies. And that's not an easy thing to do on the fly. And look, the Florida Panthers are fantastic at generating those odd man rushes. So it creates such a challenge, even be outside of the crease, for everyone else on this Canucks team to adjust and try to slow down, especially the Florida Panthers and their potent offense. It requires almost, I think, 
a complete adjustment from the team about how they're going to play in front of the goalies as well. You, you know, one thing that we just haven't seen, like I can't even remember covering one since I came back to cover this team, and that yep. was in 2019, right? So it's been a long time. It's been a long time since the Canucks surrendered a goal that I can remember causing the team to slump. Yeah. You know, like those goals that sometimes get scored. If you if you want to see if you want to see what I'm talking about, watch the Edmonton Oilers any game they play, <laughs> right? And it's one of those goals that takes the air out of the building. Like, you know, there's some there's some like your your momentum's like a balloon making a farting noise running around the room. Like, yeah, I can't believe that one just went in. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and it's hard to recover from, right? And this is something Ian Clark legitimately and we've talked about this in the context of Andre Vasilevsky. But this is something that Ian Clark actually cares about, right? That's part of your performance as an Ian Clark goaltender is to give your team confidence, is to play and carry yourself in a certain way that at no point do you rattle your team. Like, that's the quality of goaltending the Canucks have had. I can't even think of the last time. I don't think they have, in three years, allowed the type of goal where you're like, oh boy, backbreaker. You know, I mean, they've allowed goals that have caused them to lose games. Yeah. The, you know, the Shea Theodore point shot in the bubble, but it wasn't like, a, oh, well, that's on the goalie. Like it was a, it, you know, they haven't allowed one of those and I in also, a long time. I also think it's because of the quality of goalies they've had. You almost, it, it doesn't feel like, oh boy, this goalie's going to crumble, right? If Thatcher Demko or Jacob Markstrom before him lets in a goal you don't love, you have the confidence in that goalie that he's going to bounce back and he's going to make the next save, right? So, hey, okay, a soft one goes in maybe. To your point, they have the confidence because of how those guys carried themselves and how Thatcher Demko carries himself that the goalie's going to be just fine, right? The goaltending isn't going to be the problem, and they can pick him up, and they can get back in that game. And this is not to disparage Spencer Martin or Mikey DiPietro, but just to state the obvious, they don't have that experience. They don't have that reputation. Thatcher Demko is exceptional at how he handles himself, how he prepares, how he instills that confidence into the team. And to go from that to, again, guys who I think have a combined four NHL games – under their belts right now, who've been playing at the AHL level for you, it, it's just a massive adjustment for the team. And we've talked a lot about, you know, the confidence that Bruce Boudreau has instilled in the Canucks since he's taken over. As he said after that road trip, after that win in Nashville, you know, these guys have the hearts of Lions, or a lot of these guys have the hearts of Lions. That element is going to be put to a massive, massive test because the the ultimate eraser, the ultimate safety net insurance policy in Thatcher Demko, he's not there anymore, right? And if you are giving up the types of odd man rushes we saw a lot of, even against Nashville, even against Washington, you're going to get burned in these next two games. Well, and don't don't forget the context under which the Hearts of Lions quote was delivered. He was asked what about Bruce was asked. He gave that answer in response to a question about what he'd learned about his team. And his first response was to wax poetic about Thatcher Demko. Yep. And then at the end, it was almost added like, all right, and I've got to give the other guys some shine for the effort level. And then he gave the Hearts of Lions thing. But it was preceded by, you know, what have you learned about your team? Well, boy, our goaltending, right? I think it's pretty important to note that context. Now, I'm not just doing it because I'm cynical and I'm not someone who's ever going to hear a Hearts of Lions quote and be excited about it. That's just temperamentally not who I am. Shock to anyone listening to our show. But, uh, but you know, the, the context was that the Hearts of Lions thing came after yep. the goaltending. And, you know, it's one thing to be resilient with 950 goaltending. It's another to be resilient without it. And so this is going to be a phenomenally challenging 
series of games for the Canucks. In the event that Thatcher Demko becomes a confirmed positive later today, this team will obviously be hoping for good news and a false positive. Yeah, uh, we'll see where it goes. we should mention that as well. And then you know we're talking about how the team. Well, in front- and you know what? You know what? Sorry. And let me just add one. Go thing. ahead. In the early stages of infection, and we've seen this with Connor Garland just last weekend. Right, your levels, the levels that are being tested for by a PCR test, can vacillate widely. So it's possible that they could have multiple negatives and then be positive again, uh, or you know, on Friday. And I refer to both uh, players who were not on the ice today, and JT yep. Miller and Thatcher Demko. So even in the event that they get good news this afternoon, that you know, it's still going to be dicey up until the moment that the Canucks play on Friday. As a result of this. Um, you know, a very, a very challenging situation for this club. And, and adding into all of the challenges that they face is also the uncertainty, is also the fact that really you, you don't know what's next unless, unless of course, the, the positives keep coming this evening. Yeah, and I mean, that's, you know, it's easy to say, well, they've been dealing with uncertainty for, you know, in some sense almost two years now, certainly over the last six weeks since the Omicron variant really started cropping up in the NHL, but it's still... <laughs> It's still just such a mental wear on these players to have the constant uncertainty about, again, key guys, incredibly important guys, and whether they'll be available for these massive, massive games uh, coming up at home here. Because we should mention, we've been focusing on Demko, but as we discuss you know, how they'll have to adjust their play in front of Thatcher Demko, JT Miller also Pr- tested Pretty positive. good player. Pretty good player. Pretty good player. You add that to Bo Horvat and Connor Garland, who are still in the United States as a result of testing positive, entering protocol on the road trip. And again, until what, Monday of this week, Horvat and JT Miller were the top two centers on this team, right? Now they move Pedersen back to center once Horvat uh, tested positive. So you do have Elias Pedersen there. But those were two incredibly key components in this lineup, to two, say the two least. Two of their top three forwards by ice time, three of their top four forwards by scoring. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say those losses are significant. So you look at now how they're lining up uh, at forward, particularly at practice at Rogers Arena today, and I'll run through the lines here. It was Patterson on a line with Hoaglander and Besser. Uh, Sheldon Drives skating with Justin Dowling and Vasily Podkolzin. The Lamico Highmore Mott trio stays can't, together. Can't touch that. Can't absolutely cannot touch that. And then you have Dickinson uh, skating between Tanner Pearson and Alex Chason. And, and I would note that uh, Dickinson, Pearson, and Chason were kind of the second line, sure, based on uh, based on the the way that they took rushes. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's not a lot of depth. It is left over. Far cry. Left over. Yeah. Let's be clear. Like, yeah, I'm not because they, as, the club's as you depth. said, they not a lot of depth left. When, Look, when you're a team in Vancouver's position, right, you're not Carolina or Florida or Tampa or whoever, and you have three of your top four scoring forwards out of the lineup, a lot of teams' lineups are going to look like this, but it really just does underscore, you know, something that theoretically should be a strength, which is that they have depth at forward and talent at forward. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you're running a bunch of lines out there that don't necessarily give you a lot of confidence. And you, you think about JT Miller and what he does on the penalty kill, right? Bo Horvat and how he plays a matchup role taking face-offs, all of that. It's not just the scoring. It's not just the offensive threat that you're losing. It's all of those other things as well that's well, and, out of and the lineup. One, one guy that no one's asked about but also was not present on the ice today is Kyle Burrows. So the Canucks practiced with literally exactly the six defensemen that they needed to make real pairs. Yep. Um, but Kyle Burrows was not on the ice today for practice either. So, you know, again, we're, we'll be waiting for shoes to drop until, until uh, game time. Now, Let's let's come back to 
this is such a bizarre way to think about these things. So, yep. so excuse me before I even start, but you know, Yaroslav Halak tested positive five days ago yep. in Carolina. And because he tested positive in the States, his absence is going to be longer than that because it takes you longer to be able to cross the border and not quarantine in the event that you're a confirmed positive. Um, so Halak will be out for a little bit longer, no matter what occurs with Demko next. Um, in some ways, in some ways, the Canucks probably catch a break that Thatcher Demko tests positive today and not two days ago before yes. that Nashville game, like when Horvat did. Because Horvat, you're looking at a, a lengthier absence. You're certainly looking at him missing at least the entirety of this three-game homestand against the Panthers, the Blues, and the Oilers. At least with the supposed timeline, in the event that Demko remains symptom-free, you could at least hope to get him back Tuesday. If he tested positive in Nashville, you'd be looking at getting him back maybe in Chicago, something like that. Um, anyway, a, a little further down the line, which is suboptimal to say the yes. least. So in some ways, the Canucks sort of dodge a bullet here. Now, here's the other thing is the NHL after this month, one, after the All-Star break, is going to stop testing asymptomatic players, right? Now, in the event that you're a confirmed positive, right, at any point, for 90 days, you are free to crisscross the border. Yep. And the Canucks have now had 17 players test positive since roughly Christmas, since Luke Shen and Brad Hunt sort of became the first two when it was really Luke Shen and Lamico, excuse me, but it was Shen first um, in mid-December that sort of uh, brought us all to this point. So, you know, the Canucks will have most of their roster providing proof of a recent positive as opposed to proof of a posi- of a negative test yep. while crossing the border on the other side of the All-Star game. So, on the one hand, this is a brutal bounce for the Canucks, and on the other you know, not that you'd ever scheme it out this way or even think about it this way, and it feels twisted, but, like, yeah, this I know is a competitive mean. environment. Yeah. The, the timing's ab- about as good as it could have been, considering. It's tough looking at the opponents and just thinking about, kind of narratively, okay, we're back at home, we're in front of our fans, we survived that road trip, we salvaged it at the end, now let's get back on the front foot and let's put another streak together, right? Let's put another really impressive stretch at the level we need to perform at to continue this charge up the playoff standings, right? From that perspective, it's very, very difficult because all of a sudden you're facing these two really tough teams. Demko's out for both of them, and you just feel like, you know, your knees are cut out from you, uh, from, out from under you a little bit. You're right in the sense that it could only be two games, right? And that, if, if you are trying to look for a silver lining from this news today, that's it. That theoretically, and, and again, we don't know what's going to happen with the, the PCR test, the lab test from today. We we will see. This is obviously very much a developing story with Demko and Miller. But you're right. Even if it is a confirmed positive, you know, he could be back for Tuesday against the Edmonton Oilers. And it's just tough, though, because the margins are so thin. So even two games, okay, it's only two games, but it's still two massive home games for the Canucks that he's missing. And that that's the really tough part, ultimately. Uh, no question about it. And... I mean, again, for a team with no margin for error, right? Yeah, you, that's you it. Kinda, you can't afford to lose both these games and have gone two and um, and have gone two and seven over the course of a stretch yeah. like this, right? Exactly. You need to you need to be winning. You need to be gaining ground at all moments, even though some of the teams the Canucks are chasing, particularly the Flames and the Oilers, have not been and the that. Ducks have flatlined yeah. significantly. Uh, Unsigned text says, guys, this is a non-story. We all know what is going to happen. Vancouver will postpone the games. Demko and Halak will be back when they are rescheduled. We all know the NHL 
has no interest in games at 50% capacity. I don't think that's an option for they, the they, NHL. They anymore. don't love it. They don't love it. They certainly they don't like it. They have to get it. the season in. They there's, play. there's other revenue yeah. streams to protect here. You know what they have even less interest in than 50% capacity games is not getting the whole season in, right? Correct. And not getting it in by a certain point of the year. So they played that card already. They've got to uh, They've got to get these games in, and we're, I think we're going to see that for sure tomorrow. We will be back. Lots to discuss in particular about JT Miller because there was some other interesting news bubbling this morning here on Sportsnet 650. We'll talk about that a whole lot more with the Vancouver Canucks. It's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. It is the Canucks Hour here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Canucks Insider, and also athletic reporter Thomas Drantz here with you for another half hour. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, avenuemachinery.ca. Also a reminder, subscribe to the Canucks Hour podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure to leave us a five-star rating or review as well, big news. If you just if you missed it, if you're just joining us, the big news from Canucks practice this morning is that JT Miller and Thatcher Demko have tested positive for COVID-19 on the rapid tests, waiting for lab tests to confirm that result. But obviously, as things stand, neither player would be available for the Canucks game tomorrow against the Florida Panthers or for their game on Sunday at home against the St. Louis Blues. And Drancer, we just had. Uh, a chance during the break there to listen to some of Bruce Boudreaux's comments. Serious about multitasking. The issue. Up yes, in the, uh, very up serious in the multitasking. Gondola. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like I'm like motioning to to yeah. Jamie to throw to break so that I can ask Bruce Boudreaux a couple questions and then and then I went ahead and did so over Zoom. Yeah, that's one of the weird benefits. It's like usually I could do it be, from here. Yeah, yeah, usually I'd just be um, you know out of luck. But yeah. today I was able to get in a couple questions to Bruce Boudreaux. So some quick yeah. updates as they happen for our listeners. Boudreaux suggested that in the event that Demko is unavailable and Halak will clearly be unavailable, uh, although the Canucks don't have certainty on when yes. exactly he will be able to cross the border and rejoin the club. He is one of the earlier ones of the Canucks players that they lost on that southeastern road trip uh, to test positive. So presumably he could be the uh, first. available yeah. prior to Garland or Horvat. But nonetheless, we're looking at an uncertain timeline, probably one that extends beyond this three-game homestand. He suggested that in the event that Demko can't go on Friday, Spencer Martin would be the lean, although he will defer to Ian Clark. The reasoning he gave for that is that Martin has been on the taxi squad with the club for a bit. He's seen more NHL shots and practices, um, you know, probably a little sharper at the moment, um, you know, uh, than DiPietro, and that's just a, a completely logical way of thinking about it, particularly as the club had to rush and delay practice in order to get DiPietro here to participate from Abbotsford today. Uh, Kyle Burrows, he said, who was not on the ice, uh, had an upper body injury, yep. tweaked an upper body injury. He expects him to be available to play in the event that they tap him on the shoulder uh, tomorrow. Travis Hamanick may not return until after the All-Star break. Seemed to be a fair bit of uncertainty yes. with, with Boudreaux even captioning it the way that I would in the event that I was sort of trying to trying to work my way through something that uh, I wasn't sure of. Uh, what I'm hearing. He used the he used the Rick Dollywall, what I'm hearing. I love it. Uh, so, um, you know, Hamanick's status clearly uncertain. Doesn't seem like he will be an option for the Canucks on this current homestand or the next. 
obvious frustration from the Canucks head coach regarding the border situation and the players available to him. That he, that's what stood out to me yeah, was he, he, we talked about it in the first segment, but the the frustration that's obviously all around the NHL, but so specifically unique and exacerbated for the Canadian teams with the cross border issue, that really stood out to me from Bruce Boudreau. He noted that he has a hard time understanding how COVID in the States is different from COVID in Canada in regards to the quarantine length. Uh, the NHL protocols, of course, call for a five-day absence, which matches uh, the protocols that are put in place by the CDC um, and that are adhered to in British Columbia and in the United States. And yet, when crossing the border, different rules apply. Um, you can understand the frustration and, and sort of the confusion uh, stemming from that. Uh, you know, to put no value statement on it whatsoever. Just just to recap the facts of the matter. Well, of uh, of course, with these guys, with coaches, players, they are so focused and locked in on doing their job of hockey that when these outside distractions come in, again, as you said, it's not about putting value judgments on how the two countries have handled it, but just the fact that they have to have these considerations near their top of mind when they don't want to is incredibly frustrating for them. And that's what you're hearing coming out in the in instances like those from Bruce Boudreaux. Yeah, it's uh, it, I mean, look, it's a it's a really tough situation to navigate. And so, you know, we zoom out and see a team scraping to get back in this playoff race in a more meaningful and realistic way. Right They're They're at the fringes of it now. They're at the fringes of it now. They've reeled in a few teams. Yep. But they are still on the fringes. They are not in the middle uh, of the. Uh, they are not in the middle of the fray, going berserker, and they need to get there. And they can't afford to slip up. They're facing a trio now of of really good offensive teams. I mean, say what you will about the Oilers' goaltending, and there's nothing you could say that would be unfair or <laughs> inaccurate, <laughs> right? Uh, um, tire fire, yep. disaster, cataclysm. Um, but but. They still have the NHL's best power play. They still have the NHL's best player. They also probably have the NHL's most crafty sniper and, and another top five player in Leon Dreisaitl. Like, they're still a well-oiled offensive machine. And even if you have Demko back for that game, which, you know, the Canucks will be crossing their fingers, first of all, that he's available for all three. But in the event that he is a confirmed positive later today and can't play until the Oilers game, then you're throwing Demko in against one of the NHL's most potent offensive teams, having had five days off, following a stretch in which he's been playing more more than every other day, right? Yep. More than every other day. So, uh, you know, this is a really what we we talked so much, especially especially you and your Wes Craven channeling nightmare road trip. <laughs> you know, right? Like the the nightmare road trip in the southeast, it's, and now they've come back, and it's like. You know, it's like Scream 8. Well, it's like when you... <laughs> Another slasher flick homestand for you the Canucks. You think you've woken up from the dream, and you're like, oh, thank goodness, it was just a dream. And yeah. then all of a sudden, something crazy happens. Yeah. You're like, oh, no, or, I'm or, still in it. Yeah, it's yeah. like you still have the cut on your wrist. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. No, it's 100%. still going on. It's, it's, uh, still going it's, on. it's going to be a tough stretch for this club. Yeah. Um, okay, we, we will give you and bring you updates on the COVID situation, specifically with Demko and Miller, as they come up. Of course, keep it locked here on Sportsnet 650 throughout the day for the latest updates. But before that news even broke, there was a really interesting Canucks talking point that came up on our morning show, Halford and Bruff, in the morning here on Sportsnet 650. And it was interesting, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, Tino and Maple Ridge. Uh, texted in earlier, this might give everyone a look at what our team looks like if we were to trade JT Miller. And that's a very relevant suggestion today because NHL insider for Daily Faceoff, regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650, Frank Saravelli, 
was on with Halford and Bruff this morning, making his regular appearance on Thursday, and they had a long discussion about the prospect of the Canucks trading JT Miller. You can hear the whole thing on the podcast, the Halford and Bruff podcast, uh, right now. I want to play this clip specifically for you, though, which is Saravelli addressing the question of, okay, sure, lots of other teams are interested in acquiring, acquiring JT Miller. Are the Canucks open to moving such an important piece? I think they are. Um, I think when you look at where this team has been um, and where they're heading, I think they have to be open to anything. That's really the truth of it. Um, I think in a sense, as the general manager interviews continue on this week and Jim Rutherford hopes to have someone in place by, you know, the February 1st range or, first week of February that I think the plan for a while had been to hold off and, and before really engaging in conversation with teams about players like Miller that have sort of been, you know, phoning constantly to check in that I think in some ways, you know, that, that not, that doesn't necessarily need to happen. Meaning um, I do think there's been a lot of smoke there uh, in terms of the conversations and I think it's certainly been heating up in a way that is it possible that you could see something before a general manager is in place for the Vancouver Canucks? It is. I think in an ideal world, they'd like to wait and make sure everyone's on the same page. But at the same time, I think if Jim Rutherford gets a deal that he likes, um, that he's going to pull the trigger. That's Frank Saravelli again earlier this morning on Sportsnet 650 speaking with Halford and Bruff. Again, you can check out the podcast to hear the whole interview. But, you know, not necessarily – here's the interesting thing about that clip because obviously the JT Miller trade possibility has been a major talking point really since Jim Rutherford took over, maybe even beyond that, uh, earlier than that for the Canucks because of his contract status. The interesting thing to me is, one, first of all, Frank Saravelli simply confirming that You know, this isn't just a case of, or in his opinion at least, this is not just a case of other teams trying to make this a thing. He thinks there is genuine interest in going down this road from the Vancouver Canucks perspective as well. And the really fascinating thing that stood out there to me is the timeline, right? Because I know I've said that I think this is the kind of thing that probably makes more sense at the draft this year rather than at the trade deadline. But as Saravelli is reporting and, and speculating as well in that clip, he thinks that if Jim Rutherford is presented with the right offer, we might not even ta- be talking about the trade deadline, right? This could be something that's done before the GM is in place, which we're expecting to happen in the next, you know, 10 days or so here. Now, that that's not Saravelli reporting that, you know, a, a trade is close and they're having these real concrete discussions. But I think uh, it and just... even if it were, it's not now. No, exactly. <laughs> it's, certainly, it's certainly not now. But I think it just illustrates that... There's one thing to be, okay, theoretically, yeah, maybe maybe trading JT Miller is something we'd be open to, but you know, we'll wait to have the draft at the draft to have those discussions. That's one thing. What Frank Saravelli is reporting there sounds like a very different and a very very much more real possibility to me. JT Miller has a lot of fans in this game, right? There are a lot of people that see the toughness, that see the leadership, that see the versatility, that see the playmaking. Yep. Uh, that we all see, right? And would love to add a player of that caliber to their roster. I, I mean, I I think there are teams around the league that as they rank, 
well, I don't think. There are teams around the league that as they rank their wish lists, right? Miller's two. Like it's like Klingberg one, who's like a bona fide first pair right yes. D, like one A guy, and then it's JT Miller. I mean there are a lot of teams that think very, very highly of him. He he probably was gonna be on the US Olympic team. Like this is a very high caliber player. There is a reason that he would have a ton of interest. Now, you know, the idea of it being imminent is fascinating to me for a ton of reasons, or the idea of it being an active situation to monitor is fascinating for a ton of reasons. You know, I I keep talking about what Rutherford's stake is, right? Because it's so different from your average general manager, right? There is a historic component for him in the event that he was able to win, in the event that yes. he was able to win a cup in Vancouver, a third market, you know, he becomes consensus pick best executive in the history of the game alongside the likes of Sam Pollock, right? He becomes the Scott Bowman of NHL general managers. You know, that's history. There, there's a totally different level of incentive for an executive with Rutherford's resume than there is for most. So in the in a world where you're evaluating what this team is and you're looking at your playoff shots and, and you're sort of saying, hey, we're trending in the right direction, but we're still a one-in-five shot, you know? Does it make sense to take a step back? Does it make sense to monetize a 28-year-old player who would be one of, if not the, hottest single forward commodities on the market at the trade deadline? Does it make sense to approach it that way, you know, for a for an executive in Rutherford's specific shoes, like for Rutherford specifically, I do think the calculus is different than it is for your average NHL general yes. manager and may may ultimately result in something this team has needed for 10 years, which is to take a longer view, to keep your eyes focused on the prize, which is the cup that shares a name with our local park, not not on, <laughs> not on you know, sneaking into the first round of the playoffs and hoping that you recoup you know, the, the revenue lost when the club decided to change uh, head coach and GM, right? Yeah. And, and you know, if that is the way that he is approaching this and thinking about these issues, I think that should be music to Canucks fans' ears. Even if I also think, and, and I've said repeatedly, uh, that, you know, I, I do think giving this group some time, because you have it, to let the run that they've, the, the run that they're on, the, the chance that they've given themselves play out a bit further before making that type of move, um, you know, I, I still think that makes sense as sort of an option. A. The key thing for me that Saravelli said in that clip about the Canucks' perspective on a move is you have to be open to everything, right? And that's ultimately what it comes down to. When you have the goals in mind, as you said, that Jim Rutherford likely does because of his status in the NHL, because of the fact that he's he's not a rookie GM who's concerned with his job security if this team misses the playoffs, right? That's not the position that Jim Rutherford is in. Because of his resume, because of his cachet, he has the ability, the, the security, the safety to take a longer view on things. When you're in that position and you have a, a team and an organization like the Canucks that, again, as much as... You know, I love the core of Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko. There are still a lot of really significant challenges to creating a consistent contender out of this group. When you're in that position, yes, you absolutely do have to be open to everything. We've had discussions about, okay, maybe trading Miller isn't your first choice. Maybe it's plan B or plan C, depending on what else you can do around the margins with this team. But it just keeps coming back to the fundamental point, which is when you have an asset that is this valuable and who might not fit into your future plans, 
you have to be willing to explore the idea of trading him. You have to be able to at least talk about, okay, what would we need to get back? What would it look like? What would it do for the timeline of our team if we were to pull the trigger on a move like this? Now, the interesting thing for me is, and as you said, you would still lean towards the direction of giving this team a chance, right? Giving this team a chance to keep bumping those playoff odds a little higher, to keep climbing the standings in the Western Conference in the Pacific Division. The the idea, let's say they did make a JT Miller trade. Okay, I know he's in COVID protocol now, but in, in 10 days' time, right? When he's out of protocol, when he's got a couple games under his belt. Are there any concerns? Because I, I think back to after the bubble run, and they didn't commit the money to Markstrom, to Tanev, to Toffoli, and the apparent effect that had on the psyche of the remaining players here, right? And the frustration they had with the team and the organization not committing to trying to build on that bubble playoff run, not committing to spending the money to keep making the team competitive, and really how that hung over everything that was happening on the ice for a long, long stretch until Jim Benning was let go, really, by this team. And I just wonder, not if it would have the same impact, but if the Canucks players look at it and say, man, when Bruce Boudreaux got here, we did everything that was asked of us. We we made this miracle playoff run feel less like a miracle and more just like a normal long shot. And then you go and you trade one of our best players, one of our leaders on us. Is it the kind of thing where if you make that move, you're almost committing to larger surgery elsewhere because of the message you're sending to, your other, to, to the rest of your team about how you view them? I, I mean, I... You are sending a message to your team for sure. Any move you do sends a message to the team, right? Yeah. Um, but a major one, trading a core piece in season, I, I do think you have to be delicate with it because of what they've done over the past six weeks. I wonder how much that's actually changed what we would have seen otherwise. So it's um, it's definitely a fascinating dynamic for Rutherford, no question. And the other part of it is you know, we talked a lot about the identity that Rutherford has built in the past for his teams, the way he values speed at forward. Uh, the way he assesses defensemen, does does J not that J T Miller can't play on a fast team? Obviously he can, but does that tie into the J T Miller trade discussion for you at all? Right, his fit as a Rutherford style player, or is it simply about hey, I, I like I love the player, but uh, yeah. it's timing and we've got this it, asset. It's timing, it's contract timing, and you know it's options. I, I mean, there's there's an awful lot uh, that I think would go into that beyond that. Um, let's uh, let's also quickly zoom out because um, you know seems that the Canucks may be moving pretty quickly on the GM search uh, candidates uh, reportedly in town per Rick yep. Dollywall. Uh, Patrick Johnston from uh, Post Media has Mike Fuda's name linked. Dollywall responded with uh, Rachel Dory um, of the Staff and Graph podcast, um, but a former New York, uh, sorry, a former New Jersey Devils employee. Uh, she. Uh, he, he links to her name. Her podcast has a special announcement coming this afternoon, late this afternoon. All right. So it would appear that the Canucks may be making moves within the front office structure. Um, you know, we all know that Rutherford has made a point of, and, and the organization has made a point of, um, interviewing and, and looking to staff the front office with a, a more diverse set of voices. Um, Dory is a master's candidate at the moment with a specialty in analytics, which is the role that she filled with the Devils organization. Uh, we'll see if there's anything to that. Harmon Dial from The Athletic, my colleague, reporting that he wouldn't be surprised to see something announced later today, um, which would match the overall fact pattern. Um, you know, 
I know that we've been talking about non-traditional candidates for an assistant general manager job. Yep. Uh, that would be a big surprise to me. I, I think we're looking at something a little bit, you know, further down the totem pole, but but certainly something that uh, would be a huge boon for a Canucks organization, particularly because of Dory's experience incorporating uh, new data into sim- systems, which is going to matter a ton with with tracking data coming and and being accessible to NHL teams. In the near future, what that means for the analytics department, um, you know, watch for that. I still expect that the Canucks will fill uh, a director-level analytics employee. Uh, My suspicion would be that that's more likely to be internal, like the director-level employee would be an internal promotion as opposed to an external hire. Uh, But presumably we will have clarity as the Canucks begin to have Rutherford's stamp put on them in the hockey operations department perhaps as soon as this evening. That's going to be very interesting to monitor. As you said, also, we've heard that there are general manager interviews happening potentially today, certainly this week. Could see a conclusion to that search happen uh, in the coming days or next week as well. And just to to clarify, when you say we've heard the rumblings of a non-traditional hire at the assistant general manager position, even if they hire, even if it's confirmed that they do hire Rachel Dory in an analytics role, we could still see that non-traditional, another non-traditional hire at the assistant general manager level, correct? That's still a possibility. It just won't be – Dory's not going to jump up to that position. I, I wouldn't in. expect no, that, no. No, Okay. So just uh, to get that cleared up, and uh, as you said, we will keep our eyes peeled for more information on those potential hires. Lots of texts coming in, 650-650, about a potential JT Miller trade. Unsigned says a C-plus asset – is going to get you C-plus returns. Miller is an A-plus-plus asset, and that's what we will get in return. The time is now to trade him. I think there's a lot of people on that same page with the unsigned texture. Who, and, and again, the timing element, the reason that you do it now rather than at the draft is that you get to sell the contender, the potential contender where JT Miller is going on. Hey, you get two Stanley Cup playoff runs with JT Miller on your team. The other interesting part of this, and, and this is something that Sarah Valley mentioned with Halford and Bruff, is, okay, Miller doesn't have control over the process in a traditional sense because he doesn't have that no-trade clause over no-movement clause, but because he's going to be open or eligible for an extension this summer, Miller and his team, his agent, can, you know, through those back channels, indicate which teams they would be potentially interested in signing an extension for and or signing an extension with. And again, Sarah Valley also said that Early indications, it's not as if JT Miller is demanding a trade or anything, but early indications are, yeah, he would be open to moving on to playing somewhere else and deciding an extension with that team. So that's just another piece of information that could grease the wheels a little bit on a potential JT Miller trade. Yeah, and I mean, he was on with Donnie and Dolly a couple weeks ago and talked about, you know, um, the COVID situation in Canada, right? I mean, I don't know if that would be the shaping factor or if he wants to go chase a, a cup with a team that he thinks is closer, particularly in the event that this organization steers into taking a longer view approach toward building a contender. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into that type of um, viewpoint from from a player's perspective. What What's clear, though, is that so long as JT Miller wears your jersey, you're getting 100% effort. Oh, yeah. You are getting, oh, yeah. You are getting a level of commitment that's, like, pretty hard to find and match around the league. So, uh, you know, uh, from my from my point of view anyway, um, from my point of view, it, it kind of just is what it is. And Miller is 
you know, entitled to explore options a, a year from now or, or roughly 18 months from now. Uh, the Canucks are entitled to begin to, to put out feelers about what an extension would look like. Um, and ultimately, you have to make the best decision you can with the available information. Uh, considering the age, considering the cost of the extension, considering where this team's at in its development curve, considering the need to add cap flexibility, quality prospects, quality young players yep. uh, to Draft this picks. lineup in the event that they're ever going to do something serious as a team. Uh, you know, you can see how it makes sense for both sides, but you could also see how a player like Miller uh, does make this team better when he's out there. Um, you know, it, it's one of those where there's no, in my view anyway, there are lots of potential right answers, but I, I don't really think you can go wrong so long as you sign a deal that's not completely uh, overpriced. Uh, yes. And so long as JT Miller remains a relatively useful contributor for for another three, four years, which I would certainly assume. So um, a lot of a lot of different factors to weigh here. And uh, it'll be a fascinating situation to monitor, not just for Canucks fans, but for teams around the league with an interest in getting better. Nelson and Kelowna text in, Trade Miller now. We are just a middle-of-the-pack team. We need to step take a step back a bit and get more prospects and picks. Owen and Burnaby says, I would look at trading Pedersen in his three-year deal. Use that money to sign Miller. Letting him go would be a big mistake. And also an unsigned text. I made the point about the message you're sending to the team. This texter says, it's about how you message to the team. We are trading Miller or another core piece to help you guys achieve in many years rather than just today. And I think that's a good point. That internal communication, the message you're sending within the organization does matter. And it is something that can make a difference even in situations like this. Okay, busy, busy episode of the show. That's going to do it for us. But the Miller trade discussion, the the Thatcher Demko and JT Miller COVID discussion will, of course, continue. And you might see, as my co-host Drancer suggested, some breaking news later today about the Canucks front office hires as well. So keep it locked here. Sportsnet 650 for all the latest news, all the latest discussion. You are listening to your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.